2 Corinthians chapter 9, pick me up in verse 6. The guy who wrote this, his name is Paul, and listen to what he says. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, verse 7, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God, make a note of this phrase, for God loves a cheerful giver. Greek word for cheerful, hilaros, from which we get the English word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, under that word, all, under, underline that word, sufficiency, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I love verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My wife and I were out to uh, dinner with a couple just the other night, and um, this other couple that we're hanging out with, uh, they were talking about the time in which they were living uh, in the Chicago area, and um, they, um, they had been just really profoundly burdened for their neighbors, and so um, they, over the next 13 years, consistently invited their neighbors to come to church with them consistently. Will you come to church? Will you come to church? Will you? And every time they got turned down for 13 years straight, constantly being turned down by their neighbors. They, they, they were polite about it. They were nice about it. They weren't rude. Friendship was still on the table. They just refused to come to church until one day, 13 years later, uh, these neighbors who our friends had been invited, had been inviting, these neighbors had a relative whose car broke down and she happened to be a single mom. Well, this single mom had heard a church in the Chicago area, and I'd actually been to that church that she heard about, um, that specialized, among other things, in generosity and in fixing the broken down cars of people in their congregation and for fixing them for free. In fact, I preached at that church one time, and this car service area attached to their campus looks like a jiffy lube. When I was there, I preached in August of 2014. They had already given just that year over 500 cars to people in their church who needed them. So here's this couple, been invited to church 13 years, constantly turning down our friends. They've got a relative, single mom, her car breaks down, hears about this church, she takes it to that church to get her car fixed, and they fix it for free. And wouldn't you know it, these neighbors, uh, and the, 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 who were relatives of this young girl, they end up going to that church, which was the very church our friends had been inviting them to. Watch it now, punchline. What got them into the church wasn't a slick marketing campaign. What got them to darken the door of the church wasn't some catchy sermon series. 
what got them into the building wasn't a great, grand, beautiful building. What got them into the building to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ was generosity. Here's the punchline at your neighborhood. The punchline is oftentimes God wants to use your checkbook as the first on-ramp to get people into the book. God can use your checkbook, your generosity, as a means to getting people into the gospel and to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Generosity is powerful. One of the things that you'll understand, if you just study uh, the early movements of the church, if you read church history, even if you read the book of Acts, one of the hallmarks of the church of Jesus Christ is she has historically been marked by generosity. Go to Acts chapter 2, the the day the church is born. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, that people began selling their possessions and giving to those who were in need. The church of Jesus Christ back then didn't pawn people off on the government. They didn't wait on welfare programs to take care of their own. They didn't do any of that stuff. They decided as a church to care for their own. By the way, that's the history of African Americans in this country. In the early days of the African-American church, we didn't wait on government to take care of our own. We, we didn't send our kids to no orphan house. We were our own adoption agencies. We were our own welfare societies. We gave. Why? Because there was just a spirit of generosity. The early church father, Tertullian, says it this way. Look at it with me on the screen. He writes, it is ours, speaking of Christians and the church, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. Tertullian says one of the logos of Christians One of the logos of the church is generosity, that what the golden arches are to McDonald's, what an arrow is to In-N-Out, generosity is to the church of Jesus Christ and to Christians. If you are not a generous Christian, you fundamentally have, have misunderstood what the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is all about. But the great tragedy is you and I live in a culture Today's generation of Christians, today's generation of the church has veered way off course from our generous roots. A recent relevant magazine article gave these stats. It says only 10 to 25% of Christians actually tithe. Only 10 to 25% of American Christians actually tithe. Then listen to what they said. They said if American Christians, not just Americans, but if American Christians would just tithe, which is the bare minimum, if American Christians would just tithe, there's there's enough money among American Christians to, to solve the world's poverty crisis. There's enough money in American churches to solve diseases, early diseases. There's enough money in American Christian churches to prevent sanitation diseases all over the world to fully fund mission work and at the end of the day have a hundred billion dollars left over. So this is a clarion call for Christians to stop whining about the White House to stop leaning on the White House to do what the church house should be doing. If we would just do what God has called us to do, 
the, the change that could be brought about in the world. So today I want to talk about generosity. And yes, we, we're to be generous with our time, we're to be generous with our gifts, but today I'm specifically going to talk about generosity as it relates to money. Now, I, I know, I know, I know. Some of y'all saying, Pastor, you killing me. I, I brought a guest with me, first time at Abundant Life, and they sitting right next to me. <laughs> of all the Sundays to bring a guest for the first time. You're killing me, Pastor. Well, by the way, we, we got little bookmarks back there on the welcome desk that actually outlines what I'm going to be talking about in advance. So pick that up. I don't want you to be surprised. But some of y'all are saying, Pastor, why are we talking about money? Why are we talking about money? Two reasons. Number one, because the Bible talks an awful lot about money. The Bible talks an awful lot about money. Did you know there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money? So, so here's the deal. When, when it comes to pastors and preaching and money, th there tends to be one of two extremes. On one extreme, you got some people who just talk. That's all they ever talk about. I don't mind calling his name because he said it on TV in front of millions of people. Creflo Dollar says, my last name is Dollar. So I'm going to talk about dollars. All right? Now, that's problematic. That's problematic right? So you have plenty of pastors who abuse it, but here's another problem. So many pastors, as an overreaction to the abuse of some pastors, never talk about it. So it is the height of pastoral malpractice to be silent on what the Bible is loud on. The Bible talks more about money than it does faith and prayer. I'll give that to you again. The Bible talks more about money than it does faith and prayer. Why? Because nothing reveals our hearts more than our checkbook registry. Money is an MRI to our hearts. That's why we quiet about it, because I don't want you to know my heart. Money reveals our hearts. It's exactly where Jesus says. He says, show me a person's treasure, I'll show you their hearts. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talked an awful lot about money. Did you know that if you just took all of Jesus' words and you just broke them down by topics, would you realize that 15% of Jesus' words are on money and that Jesus actually talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined? So for me to be silent about what the Bible and Jesus are loud about is for me to experience the height of pastoral malpractice. There's a second reason why I want to talk about money. Just look around you where we live. Where this church is, is in the heart of Silicon Valley. People flock here from all over the world. They're the best of the best who come here. Someone told me that Google, for every 10,000 applications, actually just hires one individual. It's the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest. They are flocking into Silicon Valley. This is where the world wants to come. And unfortunately, many of them will come here deceived, thinking that what will define them is riches. And so many of them will say, if I just have this startup and this startup go well, and I'm able to uh, you know, uh, publicly trade it and sell this startup up in my late 20s, early 30s, I can just kind of golf my way into the next life. That's so many people's dreams. I want to be defined by money and houses and my corner office and where I live. This is the world in which we live in. There is opulence and, and, and deceit and there's all kinds of greed here. But I believe God has positioned abundant life 
among this culture that is so blind and trying to define itself by money and riches and possessions, he has called us abundant life to shake a countercultural fist that says we will not be defined by what we consume. Instead, in, instead of being known as a body of consumers, we want to be known as a body of contributors. We want to be a group of people who give and give and give. We want to be generous. We want to be generous. This morning, I want to give you three groundbreaking principles from our text that's going to revolutionize and unleash in your own life the power of God on a greater dimension and how you steward and see and navigate and negotiate finances. Paul deals with it in our text. He gives us three incredible principles. As we come to our text, the Apostle Paul is writing the Corinthians because, among other reasons, a famine has hit Jerusalem. There are so many people on the brink of starvation and death, many of them are Christian, that Paul is writing to a bunch of churches trying to solicit them to give money to those who are hurting. Now, it's very important. So what Paul has to say here about money, it's... um, it, it, it's, it's not to fatten his wallet. It's not so he can upgrade his chariot to the latest chariot with the 26-inch rims. It's not that he can get any of that, the XM radio package. I know they didn't have that. Just kind of work with me. It's not that he can do any of that stuff. He's not looking for a new wardrobe. He's not even soliciting for a building fund. He's trying to take up a collection to people who are on the brink of starving. So he's saying to this group of people, I need you to be generous I want you to go above and beyond what you normally give and to consider people who are hurting outside of yourselves. Now, it's in this context that Paul says these words. Look at verse 7. At the end of verse 7, Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, don't miss this. That word giver, watch it now, is not a verb. It's a noun. You do know the difference between a verb and a noun. A verb is what you do. A noun is who you are. Notice, Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. State of being. Noun. What moves the heart of God, Paul says, is he loves and longs for people who at the end of the day, what they are known for, not just what they do, what they are known for, are they, they are known for being givers. They are givers. They are givers. They are givers. They're not consumers. They're givers. One of the ways in which you know God is growing you is that he grows you from consumption to contribution. He grows you from a mindset that says, what's in it for me? What can I take? How can this benefit me? How can I receive? To now he moves you to the point where you are now so mature in your relationship with God that the question on the the table is, how can I serve? How can I give? How can I take what's been deposited in me and give away to others and others and others? Every Sunday morning, I, I, I do a preview ser- series uh, service for our, our children's volunteers. It's our way of blessing them. We do one service on Sunday morning, and so to serve in children's ministry is a real sacrifice. So we want to say thank you. And I am, you talk about givers, it's them. But here's one of my problems. I've been doing this service since I've been here, and I've seen the same faces every week. Now that says something. And so this is an ouch sermon. 
So if your posture at Abundant Life is, hey, I'm just here for the word. I need to receive. And you're not getting your hands dirty. And you're not being generous with your gifts and generous with your time. You're misunderstanding what the Christian life is all about. As God grows you, he grows you from a believer who, like a little child, says, mine, to a believer who says, you know what, I'm seeing a need over here. I'd like to jump in. How can I serve? How can I give? How can I help? God loves a cheerful giver. Now look at what he says in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, look at it. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your uh, confession of the gospel of Christ. You see what he's doing here? He's linking generosity with the gospel. Here's the first thing I want you to understand, principle number one about generosity, and that is generosity begins with the gospel. Generosity begins with the gospel. A Christian who's not generous doesn't understand the gospel. Let me tell you how you got saved. You got saved because God saw a need. He saw sin in your life and understood that you were headed down a one-way street with a destination called hell. God then looked at not one of three sons, but he looked at his only son. And he said to his only son, I want you to give your only life to die on the cross for people who care nothing about us. We call that generosity. The Bible says of Jesus that though he were rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. In other words, Jesus was chilling in the first class section of the universe called heaven, decided to step out of heaven, put on humanity, be ridiculed and scorned through his poverty so that you and I could get the upgrade back to heaven and become rich. We call that generous. I'm not done. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, tell me something. What do you have that you did not receive? Everything you have, someone gave it to you. That brain you have, God gave it to you. Where you, where you are right now in life, that job, God gave it to you. Those letters behind your name, God gave it to you. Those finances, however few, sparse, or abundant they are, God gave it to you. You are not a product of just random circumstances. You don't have what you have because of your social network. You don't have what you have because you happen to be in the right place at the right time. No, James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So why should I be generous? Answer, because God's generous. Generosity inspires you. So, you know, you know, so a couple months, I told you, a couple months back, I told you um, that when I went to grad school, man, my school gave me a 100% scholarship. I mean, they blessed me, 100%. They paid for everything. Because of that, I was able to get a wonderful degree. It set the foundation for my life. It opened up all kinds of opportunities for you. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think I write a check to that school every year for, the, for their alumni fund? Absolutely. Why? Because they were generous to me. I've never gotten over their generosity. And every year I, I write a check that says thank you. Generosity inspires generosity. Now, let me just challenge you with something. 
If you are a stingy Christian, which is an oxymoron, if you're not generous, just try this. Take some time this afternoon and try to, try to, try to write down all the blessings of God in your life. Just try to. When you get done writing that book, something you should say thank you. And not just thank you with your words, but something in you should say, I have been given so much. How can I turn around and bless someone else? Generosity inspires generosity. Now, I ain't finished meddling because Paul ain't finished meddling. I know it's quiet up in here today. I'm glad y'all got it out, and I can only imagine. Listen. Look at verse 8. Paul gives us a second principle to generosity. He said, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, someone say sufficiency, in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. You know what that word sufficiency means? It means enough. Here's principle number two. Sufficiency produces generosity. It's going to be tight right now. Paul says, what enables you, Pastor Brian, to be generous is you have reached a state of sufficiency. Paul reached that state, by the way, in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I've learned how to be content in all things. I've learned how to get along with a little, and I've learned how to get along with a lot. He, he, says, he says, I've learned that. He, he learned the art of sufficiency. The word for sufficiency, it simply means enough. Watch this now. You will never be generous unless you have margin. And you will never have margin unless you have learned to say enough. I know it's quiet up in here today. I know I, I'm meddling. I, I'm telling you, I'm meddling. Hear me. It is a financial principle to life. You will never be generous unless you have margin. And you will only have margin when you get to the place where you say enough. Let me tell you how this works. Uh, I took classes for, uh, for some time at Oxford University. If you know anything about Oxford University, they're a collection of 38 colleges. The college I would go to is Keeble College. Across the street from Keeble College is Lincoln College. Lincoln College uh, was where John Wesley went to school back in the 1700s. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church. John Wesley, one time, he's about 18, 19 years of age, looked at his finances, and he said, how much do I need to live off of for this year? I love that, by the way. 18, 19, didn't call home to mom and daddy. That's another story for another time. 18, 19 years of age says, how much is enough for me for this year? He says, I think I can get by with 28 pounds. Anything I get over 28 pounds, I'll give away to the Lord. That first year, he makes 30 pounds. Lives off the 28, gives the other two away. He then says this, about 19 years of age, he says, I'll do that for the rest of my life. 28 pounds is enough for me. Do you know one year he made 1,500 pounds? lived off the 28, gave the other 1,472 pounds away. This is where pastors going to meddle. John Wesley wrestled with a question most American Christians never contemplate. It is a question of enough. How much is enough house? I know I'm meddling. How much is enough car? 
how much are enough purses? Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. It's interesting we laugh at that. I think for some of us, greed is cute. Jesus once said, watch out for greed. That messes with me. Why, of all the sins he picked out, why does he say watch out for greed? He would never have to say watch out for fornication or watch out for adultery or watch out for gossip. Why? Because every other sin, you know you've crossed the line right when you do it. Greed is so subtle that oftentimes we don't realize we've crossed the line until we're miles down the road. Jesus says, watch out. Now, I'm not going legalistic here. This is not a sermon that says thou shalt not drive a BMW 10 till 8 750. Nothing wrong with a 750. You won't find that in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says God has created all things for our enjoyment. This is not to say you can't go on vacation. I think God wants you to go on vacation. I don't think God created Tabletop Mountain in South Africa, and as he's created it, I don't think he turned to the Holy Spirit and says, hope they never see this. It's not to say you shouldn't go on a cruise. I don't think God's creating the crystal blue waters of the Caribbean and he turns to Jesus and says, hope they never see it. He wants you to see it, enjoy it, have a good time, but learn when to say enough. See, this is where the Holy Spirit's got to talk to you. This is where we've got to make room. At what point do we say enough? Now, let me push it a little bit further. Some of y'all are like, here's what I believe. By the way, I don't know who gives what in this church. I, I just need to be free to be an equal opportunity abuser. <laughs> I don't want to be handicapped, and I don't want to play favorites with anybody. It's a standing practice. I don't know anybody's giving record. We'll never know. But here's what I believe about you. I believe that if you've got a pinky toe of the spirit living inside of you, that you want to be generous. I believe that. The problem is, for some of us, we can't be generous because you're like, do you know where we live? We live in the Bay. This ain't Memphis. Where in Memphis, I ain't lying to you, you can still buy a house for $30,000. That sister back there just said to her husband, we moving to Memphis this afternoon. <laughs> this ain't Atlanta, this ain't Charlotte, this ain't Birmingham. I mean, this is, this is the bay, man. You got to get in where you can fit in. You got to grind it out. Down south, what's typical is, is, um, is you know, single income families where maybe one spouse is at work, the other spouse is staying at home. For, for many of us, just as a means of survival, we both got to be out there. I understand that. I get that. I'm flown with you. But let me ask you a question. If you go to work tomorrow and your boss says to you, Man, it ain't going right. 
first quarter of the year. It just ain't going right. We're cutting everybody's salary 10%. Could you make it work? My guess is you're going to put a full court press and you're going to give some bad news to your children that night. I know you love direct TV. Ain't no more direct TV and we can't eat out as much as we can. In fact, we may need to find a cheaper apartment. You will, you will analyze that budget and do whatever you can to make it work. Now, here's my question. If you'll find the 10% to cut to make it work, if you'll do all that stuff to live, why not do it to give? Others of us, we can't give because honestly, our appetites have overextended us. It's credit card debt. Gosh, it's quiet up in here today. I hear an echo in this house. Feel like three people preaching. Yeah, look, my, my, my wife and I have been there, man, the early days of marriage, man. I remember a conversation one time with a bill collector. He says, well, what kind of payment plan do you want to get on? I said, how about you get it when I get it payment plan? <laughs> We've been there. Maybe your act of repentance is to make up in your mind today to stop digging the hole you're in. Put the shovel down. Swallow your pride. Some of y'all need to get to Crown Financial and just acknowledge, I just need some help. I, I, need, I need some practical wisdom and how to navigate finances. Why? Because I want to get to a place of sufficiency. And where there's sufficiency, there's margin. And where there's margin, there's generosity. Because I promise you, on your deathbed, as you're flatlining, you ain't going to say, as you're going into the presence of the Lord, as you're seeing Gabriel and Michael opening up the, the, the gates of heaven, you ain't going to say, should have bought the 26-inch rims. You'll probably be like Oscar Schindler saying, I, man, what if I would have given more, done more? Let's go home on this one. Someone say, end it, pastor. End it. <laughs> we want to be a generous church. Begins with the gospel. Generosity begins with the gospel. Principle number two, sufficiency produces generosity. You, we got to wrestle with what is enough. Enough equals margin. Margin enables generosity. Principle number three. Generosity is for contribution, not consumption. Look at verse 11. I love it. You will be enriched in every way. He ain't done. To be generous in every way. Notice he's saying to the Corinthians, listen, 
you got some people who are on the brink of death. They are starving. This famine is, is just wreaking havoc on the city of Jerusalem. I, I, I know, I know you're already giving, but I want you to give a little bit more. And here's what's going to happen to you. In your giving a little bit more, you're going to be taking some steps towards these saints, taking some steps towards God. And as you take some baby steps towards God in this act of faith, he's going to take giant steps towards you and he will not leave you hanging. You will be enriched in every way, every way, every way. In other words, he's saying to the Corinthians, I want you to be a boulevard of blessing, not a cul-de-sac. One of the principles of giving and blessing in the Bible, God does not bless cul-de-sacs. He doesn't bless you so that that blessing can stay with you. He gets a blessing to you that he might be a blessing through you. This is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God tells uh, Abram, uh, later, his name later to be changed to Abraham. He says, look, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But that ain't the end of the story. And through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So my blessing of you is not ultimately for you, but I'm going to get one to you that I might be one through you. You getting this word today? Or, or, or 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, God comes to Hannah, and here's Hannah, she can't have a baby, she's crying her eyes out, she can't have a baby, and she says to God, God, if you, listen, if you will bless me with a child, I'll give him back to you. God says, I can get with that. Opens up her womb, she gives birth to Samuel, she takes Samuel to the temple. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I think some of the reason why the prayers we're praying are either being denied or delayed is because God knows if he gave you what you asked him for, that blessing, it wouldn't get off your cul-de-sac. Look at what John Piper says with me. God does not prosper a man's business so he can move from a Ford to a Cadillac. God prospers a business so that 17,000 unreached peoples can be reached with the gospel. He prospers the business so that 12% of the world's population can move a step back from the precipice of starvation. Wow. Let me show you how this works. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and you... Um, you were to ask my wife and I, how do you know the Bible's true? I could give you a, a litany of, um, of arguments, philosophical and theological arguments, but I'd also point you to some specific verses, promises of God that Corey and I have seen in our lives. One of them is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Look at it with me on the screen. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. I love it. God says, try me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is not room enough to receive. Watch it. So my, my wife and I have seen this. I mean, we're, we, we're, 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 we're tithers. We, we, we give 10%. But I just want to tell you, I know you've never been there. There's some months, Corey and I, we, we give online. There's some months, it's an act of faith. You ever written an ouch check? It's just an act of faith, man. 
I mean, th this was just, I'll just uh, I'll let you into our finances. This was kind of one of those months. Water heater goes out. Guy tells me $2,900 for a water heater. Then my youngest son on a dare to impress some girl sticks two magnets up his nose. They get caught. We got to take him to the emergency room. Uh, you know, true story. He's six hours in the emergency room. Then we get the medical bills for that. You know, I laughed for all of about two seconds. I mean, it was just tough. It's just tough. But we gave anyways. And we felt it. A couple days later, my wife's got an envelope and she's crying. Goes to the mailbox, envelope. Someone said, hey, ma'am, just thinking about you. Check for $2,500. Hear me, hear me. That ain't coincidence. And I want you to hear me. We don't give to get back. That's not giving, that's investing. The word says we give to get back to give again. Our text says you will be enriched in every way. That Greek word every is an interesting word. It means every. <laughs> Relationally, emotionally, and financially. God says, try me. Now let me show you how this works. God says, I want you to bring the tithes into the storehouse. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Tithe simply means tenth. That's all it means. Tenth. Now, I went to Bible college. I wouldn't have to do math. But I think 10% of 10 is one. Am I, am I right on that? 10 oranges. God says, I just want one. I don't want two. I want four. I want five. And, and listen, I, I know what some of you sophisticated theologians are saying right now. Well, the New Testament never says anything about tithing. You're right. The spirit of the New Testament is above and beyond the Old Testament. So if we want to be technical, it's more than 10%. The, the tithe is just a, a low benchmark watermark. Jesus calls us to go above and beyond. 10 oranges. God says, just try me. Just try me. I just want one. He says, if you give me one, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven And pour you out a blessing so that, watch it now, so that you will not have room enough to receive. Now, this messes me up because there's two things I know about God. Number one, God is not a God of lack. He's not a God of lack. Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. Bible says that my God shall supply all your needs. So that if I'm in a season of lack, that ain't on God, that's on me. I, I now have to look, is there sin in my life? But two, God is not a God of waste. Now here's where I got a problem with Malachi 3.10. God says, give me one. Give me 10%. That's all I ask. I ain't asking for half. You got 10 oranges. You gave me one. You got nine. 
Make it work off the nine. If you do that, watch it now. Here's where God and I have a problem because God's not a God of waste. God says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so that you will not have room enough to receive. I got oranges all over the place now. What do I do with the excess? Second Corinthians 9-11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. So that if you're in a season of abundance, I might grab two of these extra oranges. I might say, huh, I can pay off some bills with this. I can go on vacation with this. But now these other ones, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God does not give abundance in your life for you to just build bigger barns and store. Now that I've got extra, I'm now looking for someone else to bless because he's blessed me. How then can I turn around and bless someone else? Some of you all have never seen that because you've never tried God. God says, try me, try me, and I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such an abundance you will not have room enough to receive. Let's go home on this. What do I do with this? Pastor's been all up in my business today. What do I do with this? Let me give you three things. I want you to take some time today or tomorrow to go over it. Number one, count your blessings count them. You just need to be reminded of the generous, good God that you serve. Just count them. And I promise you, when you write them down, it's going to inspire generosity in your life. Number two, enough. In what specific ways is the Holy Spirit saying to you, enough? You have enough. Now, now, don't be the Holy Spirit to your friend or to that person on the row. Don't be the Holy Spirit to your spouse. In what ways is the Holy Spirit saying to you, enough? Thirdly and finally, do it. In what ways can you be generous to someone this week? Let me remind us of the words of Tertullian again. It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. As the band comes, I was reminded this week of a guy by the name of Basil. You may not know that name. He was, a, he was an early Christian church father. And Basil was grieved because there were lepers. In fact, the worst thing you could be diagnosed with that day is, is, is to be diagnosed with leprosy. You were a social pariah. People didn't want to touch you. They didn't want to be around you. And here you had this spirit-filled, godly Christian named Basil who says, uh-uh, that's not good enough. They've been made in the image of God. We've got to do something. So he, he cast a vision for Christians about caring for lepers. And what would it look like if we built buildings for these lepers to go to? We spent time loving on them and sharing with them. What would it look like for us to take the extra that God blesses us to create places where we could minister, share with, and love on them? So Christians gave generously. It was said that wherever there was a cathedral built, 
One of these buildings for lepers were built. Do you know what those buildings turned into? We call them today hospitals. Every time you step into a hospital for care, you're stepping into a legacy of generosity by Christians who learned to say enough, who had margin in their budgets because there was sufficiency, contentment in their hearts. Abundant life, I'm telling you, that is going to be our legacy here at this church. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do with an army of people who have learned to say enough.